Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a very moving episode that gets to know that prom queen of horror, the telekinesis princess, the belle of the Bates High Ball, Carrie White. So listen close as we share notes on the Stephen King novel that begot the movie, that begot a sequel and a remake, and a made-for-TV movie. All about a misfit girl who has her time of the month, then the time of her life, right up to its bloody conclusion. So, pin your corsage, spike the punch, and have a night to remember as we present Boys and Ghouls 42nd episode that we're calling Creepy Carrie. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The undead. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! And only time I ever had frog legs was before my the sophomore year that I went to prom. Wow. It was not at the prom. It was at dinner before the prom. We were at a fancy restaurant. We wanted to branch out. It tasted like chicken. So, hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. Between the two of us, you've had a more eventful month. Yeah. Why don't we start at the beginning and not suppose that anybody knows what we're talking about? Oh, you mean how I'm, like, totally internet famous now? Yes. Or was for like three days. And then the world moved on. Cat went viral. I did. In a good way. And, uh, <laughs> and it does tie in with uh, some spookiness. It's yeah. sort of like the ghost of your spooky proposal video mm-hmm. has come back to haunt you. It has. It's been resurrected. How far back should we start here? Well, I would say for a full account of my spooky proposal, you can go back to our November 13th of 2014 episode. That's our witches episode. Yeah, our witches episode. In our little gab section, I explained how I got proposed to. So that's been almost a year. And it was filmed and we had a YouTube video put together of my now fiance popping out from around a corner dressed as Michael Myers in South Pasadena and scaring me and then proposing. So I showed that to you, Marshall. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'll put a link to it on our Boys and Ghouls social media. And you're like, "Mm, don't. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I won't. It was a little raw for me then. There's a lot of crying in the video. And at first, I really didn't want anyone beyond close friends and family seeing it. I figured I might change my mind at some point. But at the time, I was like, nah. You changed your mind. Well, yes. So what happened is subsequent to our engagement, we talked about doing engagement photos. And instead of doing something just a little more typical, just nice pictures of us smiling and looking like ourselves. Alex suggested that we do something really creative Mm -hmm. based on his favorite movie, since my proposal was based on my favorite movie. So he said, let's do a Back to the Future themed engagement photo. And I was like, well, 
And he goes, no, no, you're not questioning this. Life is too short. This is fun. Let's do it. And I said, it's my turn okay. now. Okay. Yeah, exactly. He didn't have to twist my arm because he said, we'll get Ricky to do it, who is our friend and an amazing photographer and a Boys and Girls listener, Ricky Middlesworth. Find We've, him at? Find him at rickymiddlesworth.com. And he's on Instagram at rickymiddlesworth. And he's not on Twitter. And we all give him a very hard time about that. So in addition to doing your engagement photo, of which there was only one photo, but yes, one was one photo. Uh-huh. He also has done all of the Boys and Ghouls social networking photos. Yes. So if you've seen really amazing shots of Marshall and I looking spooky and fabulous and awesome, those were done by Ricky as well. So we shot that photo in early July of this year, 2015. It's and a, then it's a recreation of the Back to the Future two yes. poster. Kind of a combination though, because Alec is wearing Marty's clothes from the first film. So, and I'm dressed as Doc Brown. You're Doc because you've got the long hair. I've got the long hair. We shot this really great picture, and then a couple of weeks ago, I decided to just put the picture on Reddit because I was having, frankly, a particularly low day, and I thought, this you know, will perk you up. Yeah, I thought strangers telling me this picture is cool will make me feel better. I gotta say, though, and especially after your photo started to blow up, other similar engagement photos came out. So it's not even what you did so much as the level of quality you did it at, which is Ricky, one, he didn't just Photoshop in the DeLorean. I know that you guys bought a model of a DeLorean. Yes. Lit that separately, photographed it separately. Yes. And then blew it up and then Yeah, attention it. was paid to that DeLorean. And which it was for Ricky's first time photographing a miniature like that. So it was kind of fun for him. So it was a learning process. And he, he I mean, yeah. meticulous Now attention. all the shadows are going the correct direction, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. And then he set about making this photograph of you and Alec look like an iconic, what is actually a painting. Yeah. The famous Back to the Future posters are all paintings by Drew... Drew Struzan. Struzan, who actually, you and I took a little field trip. Here's a a perk of living in Los Angeles. Uh One of our local cemeteries has an art museum. Which I didn't know about until you told me, and then took me there. Yeah, weird, right? Yeah, it's so strange. You have to drive pretty deep into the cemetery to get to it, but... The Glendale Forest Lawn, if you go pretty... It's on, on a hill part of it mm-hmm. you got to go to kind of the the, the highest gorgeous part. views up there yes and for like six months they were having a drew struzan exhibition which was pretty cool but and yeah our photo does look like it has that bit of a sort of a drawing yeah. i don't know what to call it which is kind of I- hint, iconic hint. like he did all these awesome recognizable iconic yeah there's a harry movie posters. some of the harry potter posters star I think. wars star wars yeah was a lot of stuff so now you have this so high quality yeah reproduction engagement photo out there and as we know everybody loves love yes so once it goes on reddit how long did it take to get like what do you call it upvoted um yeah you do call it that i woke up the next day so from the afternoon through to the morning things had started to pick up and i had a lot of questions coming in on reddit and i decided to sit and answer them and i had titled the photo something like I got the perfect proposal, so I let him choose the engagement photo or design it or something. And I said, this is what happened. It was basically, I wrote a clickbait title, mm. hoping people go, all right, I'll bite. Click. And anyway, I started answering people's questions. You know, who was the photographer? How did you do this? And then a lot of people, because of my title, I got the perfect proposal, said, all right, I'll bite. What was this perfect proposal? Uh-huh. So is I... Is still on day one? Yeah. Okay. So I... 
linked to it deep in the comments. I just answered it. I didn't, you know, change the heading or anything to include it. I just answered that person's right, question. And Alec had taken the video, which had three cameras, mm-hmm. one hidden in the grass, one by Ricky. Yep. And the other by Daniel. Daniel. Which is why you can't see Daniel, but yeah. you can see his brother, Matthew. Yes. Because they were the two in charge of making sure you're in the right place at the right time. Yeah. For the proposal. Yeah. So it kind of happened that the photo started to go viral, and then people started spreading the video around, and the news outlets started combining them in their articles and so, saying... So by going viral, that was like first, it was one news agency picked it up. Yeah, it was really, what started it was the Daily Mail, UK. From, from England. So in e- England, I, we owe that to England. Well, they they're really... at work while you're asleep. Even after all of this, even though they were the first big news outlet to kind of really flesh it out into a full thing... I feel like they did the best job. They did a really good... That's still my favorite article, I think. Now, the Back to the Future thing is cool. Yeah. But then once they started adding the Halloween proposal... The video took over, In for order sure. to keep the narrative, they had to make it very clear that this wasn't some guy scaring his girlfriend, but rather paying homage to something she was super into. I wonder, once the video started going viral and I would start to see the titles that even like local news stations were putting up on their little websites, or local DJs were putting on their on their radio websites, I wonder if people were clicking on it thinking they were going to see some girl getting scared and like and think the guy was an ass and like, you know, I wonder if you know that's what, what people were expecting it to gone see. That way. I think it all depended on the first person to report on it. Right. And instead and of they saying, went, look at this ass scaring his girlfriend click here it was horror fan gets ultimate proposal right click here right which even with that a lot of people who are clicking and watching it you know they tag their boyfriend in and go larry if you ever did this to me i'd kick your butt even though they saw that the way it ends up is oh i was so thankful and happy and they're still like oh <laughs> but the end game of all that is that boys and ghouls podcast ended up in articles from entertainment weekly all kinds of really e- E, really big publications we got mentioned, which is really yeah. awesome. And a lot it makes of them had links back. Now, yay, boys and ghouls. Side effects. You've been a viral sensation. Yes. Now for uh, like three weeks. Well, well no. It's, it's going down. Yeah. But like you were just on Good Morning America two I, days ago. I was. That's true. And but it's still, apart from that blip, that it really kind of petered out even before then. It was kind of a three or four day wave, which, by the way, is a long time, I think, in the internet world. Like, a day would have been incredible. Sure. But well, it was a work week thing. It was. It yeah, started it, on, like, a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. And basically wrapped up by Friday. Yes. And by Monday, you'd been replaced by the couple where the guy keeps making puns in Ikea. Oh, my God. That's my favorite video yeah. right now. I wanted to send it to you and be like, the king is dead. Long live the king. Yes. Move over. And then you're like, I'm going to be on Good Morning America. I was like, oh, your ride's not quite done. <laughs> yeah, that video is amazing. I was hoping with all of this that at least some kind of like say yes to the cake reality show or something would have contacted you. Yeah. And like, hey there, hot couple of the week. Let us make you a DeLorean cake. I know. It's on us. Yeah. Or that some uh, producer would be like, who's that fresh face? I want her in my office now. Or... Yeah. Maybe just some uh, local horror filmmakers might see you and be like... I was kind of thinking maybe that if there had been any way to parlay this into anything, obviously I'd rather be in a horror movie dying any day, but I kind of felt like there was some kind of creative um, surprise engagement proposal show there somewhere that I could have hosted or something. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You never know. Uh, In the meantime, you got uh, how many roses? I got a dozen roses from Pro Flowers, which was nice. All right. And you know what the best part of all of it is? 
Anytime someone says, don't I know you from somewhere, you can bring this up? No, I probably won't be doing that. Because surprisingly, not like it's not like the whole world saw it. <laughs> just you, enough to make it number one on Reddit and then number and one on Facebook. Facebook. But if you look at, there are a lot of proposal videos out there. And if you look at some of the other ones that are like really high up there, they have upwards of 10 million views. Ours only has a quarter of a million, a little over that. So no, hmm. but I get to get married to the love of my life. That's the best part. Let's end on love. Aww. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there. Even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. The girl who lives in that creepy house. With her crazy mother. The girl with the strange power. If I concentrate hard enough, I can move things. But tonight, no one will laugh at Carrie. If you don't have a date to the prom next Friday, would you like to go with me? She's with the best-looking boy in the senior class. He's trying to trick me again. She'll be voted queen of the prom. For Carrie, it will be a dream come true. For everyone else, it will be a nightmare. <laughs> Okay, Kat. Marshall. The topic this month is Carrie. Uh, I was thinking about calling this episode Creepy Carrie Aww. instead of just Carrie. Yeah. All right, I just wanted That's to That's what the that little kid calls her. That's why. By the way, do you, did you read that Betty Buckley, that she does that voice of the little boy? Yeah. He's dubbed over and it's her voice. Anyway. Yes. That's the gym teacher, folks. And there is one fact about the film Carrie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That the woman who was the gym teacher, Betty Buckley, was also the voice of the boy on a bike who was being played by Brian De Palma's nephew, oh. like Cameron De Palma, who rides in going, creepy Carrie, creepy Carrie, wah! Yeah. In the book, it's praying Carrie. Oh, yeah. And he's much younger. He's like six years old. There have been a few iterations of Carrie. There was the book. The and, book came out in 74. Yeah. Then the movie in 76. Correct. Then a lot of nothing. Mm-hmm. Whole then lot of nothing. Carrie 2, The Rage. Which was 99. Then the made-for-TV movie, Carrie. 2002. And then came the remake, 2013, also just called Carrie. And there's been a musical. There's been two musicals. Couple. Oh, yeah, because I read there was one in, like, 1988 that, that I don't That got know shut down about. after five performances. Did someone use telekinetic powers to burn the theater down? What happened? No. But Ms. Buckley was in it, not as the gym teacher, but as Margaret White. No. I wish I could go back in time and go see that. Or you can see the more modern musical, which I believe is off-Broadway. I think so. I watched the opening number on YouTube and then stopped because I believe they're doing the Carrie musical downtown L.A., soon and i want to go see it so i didn't want to spoil too much of it for myself but the opening number was really good the music was good i'm glad off broadway gave it a second chance yeah yeah that's not my name But that's its most recent iteration. Let's go back to where it all began, and I'm gonna let you take the helm on how this all got started. Sure. 
as longtime listeners to Boys and Ghouls will know, Stephen King is my favorite author. I'm obsessed with him. I have a giant Dark Tower tattoo on my rib cage. Not I, of the Dark Tower no, itself. No, no, no. It's of a symbol for Ka. If you haven't read the series, it won't make any sense. It doesn't matter. I love him so much, I burned something from him into my flesh forever. I'm your number one fan. I think Carrie was the very first Stephen King book that I ever read. I picked it off the shelf probably because it was small and seemed manageable, and I was probably, I think I was nine years old. And while it was not Stephen King's first novel, it was the first one to be published. So he had previously written Rage and I think... The Long Walk. Okay, um, which later came out as Bachman books. They did. So he'd written a few other novels, but this was the first one to get published. He was 24. He was so young. Yeah. So a couple pieces of background is what's so lovely about the fact that Stephen King wrote this book on writing. With a part autobiography, part how-to on the craft of writing. The autobiography portion is to give the reader an idea of some memorable moments from his life that informed sort of the way he sees the world, the way he views trauma and suffering and horror and all of that, so that you could see how a human being would have experiences and then find a way to weave those into a story. So what's great about having that little gift is that we get to hear sort of the origin stories of Carrie, which we talked about on this podcast before, but as a refresher. We've touched on it in our Hack to School episode. We have. Because few films really take on the misery of high school quite so well as... Yeah, so Stephen King and his wife were very poor with two kids. Living in a trailer. He was teaching during the teaching year. By the time it got published, he was teaching, but during a lot of the time he was writing Carrie, he was still working in in an industrial laundry. He also spent part of a summer working as a janitor in a high school. This janitor portion was just a blurb to say that he had occasion to walk into a girl's locker room to clean it. And he happened to notice that there were curtains on the shower stalls. He figured, and he's like, I guess girls are more, you know. Privacy oriented? Yeah. Now we've had whole conversations we about have. this, especially in our summer camp episode. Yes. The privacy girls get versus the prison style showering mm-hmm. boys tend to get. And the other thing that we've talked about on this podcast, but that I'll mention again here just because it's extremely relevant, is. Stephen King's inspiration for the character of Carrie, once he thought about writing this, which were two girls he went to high school with. There were two girls who just had not ideal family lives and were taunted at school, so he just kind of cites that as something he observed. One of them, and these details are so potent. I didn't reread this for this podcast. It's just stayed with me. It stuck with you. Which is one of them. She just had, like, a really religious mom, mm-hmm. and he was, like, helping them move something, and there was just this a giant... giant Jesus. Anguished Jesus. Mm-hmm. And she asked him if he was saved, and he was like, saved as saved can be. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> just get out of there. And was that the one who had the dog named Cheddar Cheese? Yes, I believe so. Heartbreaking detail. I know. The other one, her parents were... I'll just say addicted to contests. Yes. And sweepstakes. Sweepstakes. And they'd win... Some things. Apparently they won Jack Benny's car, which was a fictional car. Mm -hmm. So I guess someone just found an old Maxwell and gave it to him. But rather than pay attention to their kids' needs, they were just... I guess it's a form of gambling addiction. Sure. Sweepstakes. Narcissistic parents. Yeah. So she was always kind of like slovenly in school. And if the story ended there, you'd be like, oh, well, too bad. But then he goes on to tell about the time she came into school with like her hair was done. 
and she had like nice new clothes. Well, the preamble to that is that she had, I just reread this, so it's fresh. She and her brother both would wear for almost an entire school year the exact same clothes every day until like the girl's shirt was becoming threadbare. You could see her bra straps through her shirt. And then after Christmas break, I think, she came back with, like you said. Looking nice. Permanent in her hair. Five whole minutes feeling on top of the world. Yeah. And then, you know, you get razzed for looking poor. But you get stepped on in high school. For thinking you can step out of that box they've put you in is yeah. kind of how he it's phrases like it. Daring to rise above your station. Yes, precisely. Which isn't even a real thing. You don't have a station. Not really. It is if, you it's know, society adheres to it. Yeah, exactly. You tried to rise above a concept, not even a physical thing. And they just... Took care of that? Yeah, they teased her exponentially more. And she just curled up into herself. And then within a month, like she was still in that same outfit, but like the, everything was just back to. Blah. Yeah. And one of the girls, I don't remember if it was this one or the other one, put a gun into her stomach and killed herself yeah, years that later. Was, well, credited postpartum depression. And the other one had a seizure and no oh, one right. was around. Yeah, both of them were dead from the, in, sometime in their 20s. Yeah. yeah. And they were both, I mean, I know it's not the high water mark of success. But they were both married. Mm-hmm. Like, they'd gone on to form relationships. They, right. they didn't just... Um, Carrie, in the book, she can kind of see into her future, and she thinks if she doesn't start changing things now, trying to fit in more and make an effort, that she just saw this future of her just becoming a spinster who lived with her mom. Who... Yeah, we get that insight in the book a few times. There are a few moments of decision that she comes to where she's like, I could just... Not go. I'll just stay inside and I won't answer the door when Tommy comes to take me to the prom. But then the years spread out before her and all she sees are living in this house with her mother, making her own clothes and never having a job and never do, you know. Yeah. That's what gives her the resolve. There was a sad detail of like going over to this old woman's house that she already hangs out with to just watch TV when she, quote, has her over. Mm -hmm. So for a while there, it sounds like those two inspirations did a little better than Carrie thought she would do if things... uh, didn't turn around for her. Um, we're given a lot of uh, what I think some people refer to as inside baseball mm-hmm. here. Uh, a lot of a lot of deep cut trivia. Yeah. Without giving just the most basic of overviews. Right. Of uh, the story of Carrie. So, Kat? Sure. Carrie is a book about a teenage girl who has been raised very religiously her mother fanatically is a fanatic westboro baptist church yeah level it, it reached the point where the church in town was no longer uh, enough for her right and then she took it onto herself to like preside over carrie yeah. three times a week and for, have their own for church. hours at a time and this girl she is living this sheltered life and the girl's at school, give her a very, very hard time, and they they taunt her and tease her, and this has gone on for years. And the book opens with one of those incidents where they're teasing her really, really badly. She gets her period in the shower and doesn't know what's happening to her because her mom didn't ever tell her, and the girls throw tampons at her, and and it's incredibly traumatizing. How much in-school education do you think there was? That's a great question. And even with abstinence-only education, do you still get, like, just the basics of menstruation? But not safe sex? I don't remember. My mom talked to me about all that stuff. What about school? I do. I mean, I do you remember didn't get that, uh, sex the, the ed. The boys all go outside for yeah, a while. Yeah, we did, but I just don't. 
because I think I knew everything at that point, I don't remember what was taught. I know okay. we had it. I know we did. I remember watching videos. I remember, I think we watched a birthing video as well. Even though my mother had told me that women get their periods between the ages of 8 and 17, I was still unhappy that I hadn't gotten mine. This morning, that all changed. The book centers around her having this incredibly traumatic experience, going home to her mother, and then the catalyst for the rest of the storyline of the book is that a classmate, one of the girls who was involved, feels very bad. This girl, Sue, asks her boyfriend to take Carrie to the prom as sort of a way to give her back a little something that they took from her, give her a bit of a normal experience, give her one magical night because they were so horrible to her. Yeah. And um, things go very wrong. Simultaneous with her menstruation comes her telekinesis. Yes. This girl's kind of a perfect storm. She is. For what's going to come between trouble at home, trouble at school, and psychic powers. <laughs> Though she's had them since she was Tur a turns kid, out, yeah. but it's sort of... It got um, suppressed. Yeah, and depending upon which iteration you're looking at, I mean, there are scenes in the movies where she's practicing, as it were, but really the menstruation, the menses, is mm -hmm. the kickoff for the new adolescent and much stronger... Potent. Potent TK that she can control much better than she could when she was like four, and you you know you read about that in flashbacks. And in one of the movies, the uh, TV movie actually shows a scene of with her as a kid. The TV movie, yeah, does show the scene where she was a kid, where things are getting traumatic and all these rocks start just flying at the house, but only land on their house yeah. and nowhere else in the neighborhood. Which laughably, they're so, they look like meteorites or something. They're really too big and it's terrible. That scene was embarrassing. And, so. and they were taking one of the few things that got left out of the 1976 De Palma version. Right. Which they tried. Yeah. Turns out that they tried to do like gravel first, big rock second to show that like, well, when she was an infant, she summoned gravel. And now that she's a woman, she's summoning big rocks. The gravel looked like rain, and the big rocks, their deploying mechanism jammed. Right. So you have interior shots of rocks coming through, which to me it just looked like stuff. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it just it, looked it like the like house rocks. was imploding or something. Things were like the roof was falling down. It's kind of what it looked like yeah. in the movie. Now in the book, the house doesn't implode. No. She leaves the house and dies just like on the road. Yeah. But in the Chloe Grace Morantz mm -hmm. version, 20, yeah, the 2013. Yeah. Yeah, they say all three of those names. I right? think you did. They don't get into any early rocks, but when it comes time to check out, she calls rocks onto her house. Yeah. What interests me is that we're interested in these phenomena. Carrie. And it's fun to play with the idea of, well, if you take a girl like Carrie, who's hated by her classmates, who's persecuted by her mother, Carrie. and if she has a talent like this that's suppressed, what happens when that talent comes out? So. Just a few years after it was published, it was made into a film. So it was probably one of those kind of hot properties. Mm -hmm. It's a, a quality horror, and it's full of teenagers. And they love to go see horror movies. If you have a taste for terror, you have a date with Carrie. Brian De Palma, who had been making movies for a while, but hadn't made any really big hits... Uh, his casting session was doubled up with George Lucas because they were both looking for unknowns of approximately the same age. So they brought in all these boys for Luke Skywalker, all the girls for Princess Leia, and George only got two, you know, one of each. 
And De Palma picked up a lot of the rest. Yeah. And like PJ Souls tells a story. She's like, George didn't like me. <laughs> but God, I love her. De Palma was like, I'm going to put her in my pile. Not only that, but PJ Souls also kind of fought her way to a bigger role in the film because she kind of, she in a pops. little moment of improv, in the beginning when they're playing volleyball. volleyball, she's walking off the court and takes off her signature red hat and smacks Carrie in the face with it. That wasn't really scripted or planned. She just did it. Which, I know this isn't the hat podcast, mm-hmm. but to speak more about that it hat. It isn't? It is now. Uh-huh. She wore that red hat to the audition. Oh, really? And they just liked that sort of spunky look. That's her hat. And oh, wow, I didn't know they that. They said, wear that. You'll notice all the girls are wearing black shorts, but she's wearing red. <laughs> and red socks. And her character totally red stands hat. out. She wasn't really supposed to be in it for that much of it, but she earned herself a kind of a bigger role, and he kept her on and yeah. kept keeping her into scenes. Same, same thing happened was... with Sean Penn and Spicoli. Really? It was like, just keep bringing him back. Put him, give him something to do. They make fun of Carrie pretty badly, throwing sanitary napkins at her, yelling, plug it up. And then they're all made to take extended gym class Mm -hmm. for like a week. A calisthenics detention. (laughs) Yeah, a calisthenics detention as their punishment. Among that group, you may have recognized Edie McClurg. Who's that? You may know her best. Oh, yes, of course. Righteous dude. As the secretary in... As Grace in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Grace! Now, she's been in all sorts of things. She was in Elvira. Mistress of the Dark. She was on Small Wonder as the next door neighbor. She's on everything. Yeah, she's like a great... Oh, she was in The Hogan Family as like the next door neighbor. It's so weird for me to see her playing a teenager. Yeah, seeing her as young. It's like picturing one of your teachers as young. It's like, really? What? No, you were never young. That's not a thing. Yeah. I got the impression... And I bet if she was the kind of actress who sat down and wrote out a big backstory for a character, even though she has, like, two lines, it's that if Carrie wasn't around, they'd all be picking on her. I had that thought as well. Yeah. Like, she seemed assimilated, but I was kind of like, she seemed a little nerdy. But, you know, maybe she's the kind of girl who would join in just so that they're not looking at her. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's where a lot, a lot of bullying comes from. It's just like, whatever takes the attention off of me. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah. Come on, does this look nice? He looks beautiful. You can look good. You'll make a good impression for once in your life. Would you go out with me? Not with Ruffles. All right, well, you don't have to get Ruffles for yourself. You always got to make a joke, right? No, I just don't like Ruffles. You don't like Ruffles? You don't have to get Ruffles! Uh, Speaking of tertiary characters, like PJ Soul's Norma. In the book, Norma lives. In the book, Miss Desjardins lives. Yeah, renamed Miss Collins. Yeah. And then brought back in the remakes as Desjardins. Mm -hmm. But just speaking of that, The Beak, which I thought was really funny and he was in it here and there. But he's the awkward guy that they take shopping in the movie for uh, Tux. And he's mentioned in the book, like, it's maybe a half a sentence description. But since I had just reread the book and then I was watching the movie, I was like, oh my God, it's The Beak. And they call him Beak because he has a big nose. Well, what do you think, huh? I like it. I think it's terrific. Look at that. No ruffles at all. Let's us talk about the centerpiece of the film. Prom night. Prom night. It's the good times. It makes the bad so bad. Yeah. Because everything's going great. It's like Mars. It's like being on Mars for her. It's a whole other world. 
she's looking around at all the beautiful people and taking in the scene. And she says that she prefers to think of them all as beautiful strangers instead of the people that she's been going to school with because that makes it easier yeah. to handle all the information and all the stimuli that's coming at her. And in the 2013, they rewrite one of the, the very minor characters, but I like the way they do it, as being a girl from another school who's coming in as this guy's date. Oh, yeah, that's who right. Who is meeting Carrie for the first time and just accepting her as a peer straight off. I think that's much more believable. I think you're right. That's much more believable than what they did in the other iterations, which was just have a girl who they go to school with decide to be nice to her. Yeah. Because they do that. At the same time, a lot of what happens at that prom, I think, illustrates that all of your tormentors are just trying to get on with their own lives. And it could be an even greater insult that says, like, as bad a time as they're giving you, you're actually a pretty low priority for them. Yeah. That's just a side effect of them trying to get through their own BS. Right. You know, it's totally insane. We have three new cheers to learn in the morning. The game is in the afternoon. I have to get my hair done at five, and the dance is at eight. I'll be totally wiped out. Sue Snell's plan, from Sue Snell's perspective, is going better than she could have thought. She thought it would just be like a nice night at the prom with her big-haired boyfriend. Yeah. And she shows up to kind of see how things are going. Yeah. And she's like, what, what, what? She's been elected prom queen? I am a do-gooder. <laughs> Sue Snell, you're a good person. Yeah. that's. <sighs> I don't think there's much rope? better validation than that. Yeah. Like, that your good-hearted plan worked. So yeah. things are going great for Carrie. Great for Sue Snell. Tommy... As far as Miss Collins is concerned, a job well it's done. amazing. Tommy's gone above and beyond, and it's paying off. Yeah. So, well, that's like the last good five seconds, and then the bucket full of pig's well, blood. For the terrible moment, mm. I just want to live in the happiness for just a moment longer. Let's both. Are you ready to dance? Come on. I don't know how. In the De Palma... Tommy drives a truck, but manages to get a car for the night. It's nicer to show up to the prom in. Oh, right. I didn't even notice that. But in the CGM version, yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz, she gets picked up in a limousine. Yeah. And she's like, holy smokes, a limousine. Awesome. And let me take you back to my prom, my junior prom, actually. I'm ready. Um, let's go to prom, Marshall. Let's. I'd failed my driver's license test. <gasps> no! And I couldn't drive my prom date to the prom. My dad knew a guy who drove a limo. All right. Though, it was a funeral limo. Not a hearse. Some, it's just a normal I, limo, but used for funerals. Yeah, I, I've told this story before, and people are like, so a hearse? I'm like, no, not a hearse. Like, What's the it's difference? It's because you're using the word funeral. Well, yeah. A fun limo, the seats face each other. Mm -hmm. In a funeral limo, the seats still face forward. There's no mini bar. It's just a much longer car. How many rows of seats are there? Probably four total. And I tried to get other people to go in on it with me, but nobody wanted to. <laughs> so it was just us in the backmost row. That's funny. And then once we got to the junior prom, which was not in our gym. Same. Yeah. So I got there and like the table where all my friends were seated was filled up with my friends. So I wound up at the table with guys who brought foreign exchange students as their dates. Like, that was a thing. Cool. How did your date feel about this? Who was your date? How, how, how well did you know her? 
Well enough. Well uh, enough that you could commiserate at your terrible table. Oh luck. yeah, I mean we weren't strangers. Cool. We were both on the school newspaper together, and I asked her on the last day that they were selling tickets. Very Tommy Ross of you. Yeah. So we're at the table, and this girl who was an exchange student from France just reaches up and takes a pat of butter and starts eating it. And I'm like, what? And she like she's just like spits it out and she goes, oh, I thought it was the cheese. Oh my god. <laughs> What was nice is what happened next is my date and I, just to show that I was in the company of good people, we went, oh no, it's cool. Because she was like so embarrassed. Did you eat some butter? We ate butter to make the French girl feel better. Oh, Marshall. Of course you did. We're like, see? And my date, like just her face, just like, oh God. (laughs) Because it's just eating a pad of butter. You're the opposite of of Chris Harginson. You heard it here first, people. Yeah. I knew that already. Um, so you went to three proms? Yep. And now, one of the dresses you wore at one of those proms, you hung on to, or, mm-hmm. and then you wore to get blood dumped on you. I did. For a press junket for the 2013. It was glorious. What I, a way to ruin a dress. And you can hear us talk about that in our gab before our Poltergeist episode. Yeah. So, listen for, uh, for that little adventure, and then stay for a Poltergeist episode. Mm-hmm. So, between, uh, the two of us rocking the mic... You've actually had a big bucket of caro syrup dumped on you. Yes. From a great height. Yes. So when you watch it now, you see Sissy Spacek or you see Chloe Grace get the dump. You can be like, I know that feeling, sister. Yeah. I thought about it this time, rewatching both those movies. I was like, oh, yeah. That's quite a hit. It is. Now, in, in the book and through most of the versions, or all of them, they stress like how big her eyes got. Yeah. And Sissy Spacek kept those big oh eyes. Oh my God. It's one of the reasons. It's like the only part of her that isn't red. It's yeah. Just these big, popped out eyes. She looks like a wounded animal. She looks absolutely viscerally base. It's like there's nothing human in her anymore. She's completely snapped. Yeah. Which is amazing. Which she's, almost. She's so good. Kind of forgives her the murder rampage she's about to go on. Whereas Chloe, Carrie, is more selective. She, yes. Which means when she's sparing lives, okay, she's sparing lives. But when she's killing, she's straight A murderer. Yeah. Killing. And she's happy to be doing it. she knows what she's doing. And she's like, I've had enough. Whereas Sissy Spacek kind of enters like a fugue state. And is just operating without even knowing what she's really doing. Oops, my bad. So uh, De Palma is a, a very kind of a director's director. He's full of tricks. There's a big long shot that I didn't even notice it was going on until it was almost done. That, you know, when they're collecting up the ballads. Mm-hmm. And then it goes up, up, up. You see the, the bucket of blood. And then you can see down to Carrie winning as, as prom queen. That was all one shot. And De Palma's good for stuff like that. Yeah. And then he goes into the, what was really more of a 60s thing. The movie Woodstock did this a lot, which is show the same thing, but from different perspectives hmm. simultaneously. They were doing that for the horror of the prom, which mm-hmm. is you could see Carrie, half the screen was her on the stage covered in blood, and then the other half was like people running and screaming, and then... Doors closing. Doors closing. She, I thought it was super effective. It switches over to the hose coming out, and the hose starts blasting people, which is better than the sprinklers, because sprinklers just get you wet. Yep. And you'll slip... 
and you'll get electrocuted, and you'll get electrocuted, which they focus on a lot more in the book. But that hose will just knock you down. Yeah. And PJ Souls got her eardrum uh, ruptured. Yeah. From just the force of that. She couldn't hear properly for a couple months. And yeah. she ended up being all right, but yeah. Yeah, those fire hoses mean business. Yeah. And Carrie, in the book, leaves when she gets the blood dumped on her. Comes back, and then from sort of outside traps everyone in. And from the outside looking in causes all the mayhem. Mm-hmm. I think it's a better choice visually to just keep her right there on stage, glued to the spot. Yep. Also in the book, they, the blood gets dumped while they're both still sitting. Yes, yeah, standing. And all the ad- adaptations have them standing. Yeah. yeah, totally better. It's way better. Tommy, meanwhile, gets hit on the head with a bucket. <sighs> Poor Tommy. It knocks him out. Well, because as much of a moral and grounding force as Tommy's been, you really have to remove him from the equation. Otherwise, you think he would just like pick her up and walked away with her. You're absolutely right. Well, because he goes, what the hell? And yeah. it's beautiful in the movie. It's completely silent. You just see him mouthing it. Yeah. And you almost feel like you're Carrie at that moment. Like you can't hear anything. No. You're right. He speaks up. He's like, what the hell's going on? So you, he had to get taken out. Yeah. So in the 2013, the bucket just straight up kills him. Yep. Which I guess it could from that height. I guess in the in this one, I always... He gets I think I always assumed it killed him in the original, but it didn't. Yeah, he just gets trapped after. He just doesn't get out. Yeah. Which, once those fires start, then you get that great image, which used to be like the VHS cover of just her covered in blood with like a prom burning behind her. Gorgeous. I also love, love the shot of her walking out of the gym and like sort of rounding out to the stairs she's walking really slowly and it's it's kind of a wider shot like it's not super close up but she just looks like a bloody wraith or something she's just this old bloody crone person sort of ugh, really really spooky image now she goes through town then this was skipped out for two reasons in the palma version she doesn't destroy the town like she does in the book too expensive too expensive and if your world is the high school, then if you destroy the high school, you've already destroyed the town. It's all you need yeah. to destroy if you're Carrie. Are you having a really bad period? She makes it home where her mom is laying in wait. I like in the remake where her mom gets locked in the closet. Yeah. And then pounds her way out. Yeah. That's really visceral. That reminds me of like Fall of House of Usher where she like crawls her way out of the coffin mm-hmm. just that any of the bloody fingers just <sighs> yeah now in the De Palma version you get a nice bit of her just at home just sort of absentmindedly chopping a carrot and then when there's no more carrot she's just chopping the chopping block yeah and you're like oh that's gonna be Carrie's head yep in a yeah. few short hours now in the uh, the remake it actually opens with Julian Moore we haven't mentioned her Julian Moore playing mm-hmm. Margaret White it's one of those I didn't know I was pregnant kind of things. Yeah, definitely. She, she, she thinks she's she had dying, and, and then there's the baby, and then she's like about to kill it with scissors. And boy, if you know, she, she keeps saying that throughout Carrie's life that she's sinful and she's the devil's not far behind her. And then holy smokes, she's got the power to move stuff. Margaret what better White proof do you need as Margaret White that your daughter's must feel like? Well, this completely goes in step. With every crazy thing I've been saying for the last 18 years. Yep. And even though I've seen this movie before, when Sissy Spacex walking through the house and it's all just oh. lit up with candles, and then she goes up the steps. Oh my God. And, and she like passes a dress dummy. Yes. And then turns on the bathroom light. 
and Margaret's standing behind the door. She's just standing behind the door. I freaked. I forgot about that too. So, me too. And I'm just Completely like completely ah! terrifying. And I rewound it, and she's clearly there. She's clear as day. But because you're watching Carrie, and there's this mannequin, you just think she's another mannequin. And then she turns on the light. And you're like, oh my god! Terrifying. De Palma, who revels in borrowing from Hitchcock, then has, you know, Carrie get stabbed with a kitchen knife. That's from the book. While on the second floor and falls down the steps. I applaud him for not recreating the Arbogast psycho fall down the steps shot. Oh, sure. That would have been a little too yeah. on the nose, I guess. A little too on the nose, but I, you know, I bet he thought about it. <laughs> I bet you somewhere was like an index card with that mapped out. Right. And then... Like, his better sense prevailed, and he was like, uh, maybe in a different movie. Right. Though, they totally brought in the psycho Oh, music. yeah. Absolutely. Mostly for whenever um, Carrie would use her powers in the house. You know, yeah. She'd move some furniture, or the windows would shut. I loved it. So, good restraint. I also love how in the De Palma version, she comes home, and all those candles are everywhere around the house. Yes. I never um, questioned that she would own that many candles, by the no, way. No, of course not. I don't know how this would have struck anyone seeing it for the first time and never having read the book, which, God, I wish I could go back and, like, whatever. God, I just wish. But watching it, knowing everything that I know and knowing that Mom had intended on killing her, all those candles feel like a funeral show of sorts. Like, it kind of feels like she's doing the Lord's work. It just feels holy like an somehow. Like the home is now on, like, an altar? Yeah. In preparation for her murder. At this point, Margaret gets out the speech about like her and yeah. her father. And Ahmed's like, and then he took me. And I liked and it. And I liked it. So your daughter is moving furniture with her brain. But she's still stuck on sins of the flesh. Mm. And it really... There ain't nothing worse. Draws a straight line, really, from all of her religious fervor all the way down to her fear of sex. Yep. And where it took her and how it made her raise Carrie in such a Which way. Which we could just write a 20-page paper on repression and religion and all of that. No! Please? They're all gonna laugh at you! Mom, you're overreacting. They're all gonna laugh at you! Why are you so over? They're all gonna laugh at you! Mom, I'm going to the ice cream place. Now, in the book, she just stops her mom's heart, which doesn't really translate to the screen. No. In the De Palma version... She kind of crucifies her in the, in the it's kitchen door. pretty cool. And then puts a bunch of knives in her in the fashion of, I have found out, St. Sebastian. Oh. The doll with all the things stuck in him? Mm. That wasn't supposed to be Jesus. Ah. Uh, that was St. Sebastian. Okay. I don't know that because I'm a religious scholar. I know that because I watched the DVD special features. Oh. And that just, looks better on film. It looked amazing. And I have to say, I was not sure there's any moment in the film that I was more disturbed than when Carrie is yanking at her second arm to try to get it free once the house starts coming down. She screams and pulls out the knife from one of her mom's hands. Dead now. Yeah. Mother's dead. And then she just grabs her body and the other hand is still, still attached stuck. to the wall. And she's pulling and pulling and finally yanks it off the wall. And you don't see it come off, but you see like the force with which the dummy is pulled off. You know, it's got, it's a dummy. Yeah. And I almost lost my lunch. It was really, really awful. What an awful detail. Yes. Really effective. In the book, after killing her mom, she then just wanders with a knife in her back, letting off like 
psychic energy and she's Sue's weirdly now, telepathically connected to sue yeah. sue just and not just sue lots of people yeah. are testifying after the fact people that they just knew it was carrie yeah and like how did you know i it's hard to explain but sue kind of homes in on carrie and finds her finds dying. her dying in the road and you think oh she gets at least to die knowing that it wasn't everyone in like a big conspiracy trying to humiliate her it was just like one person she like reads sue's mind she reads like all of sue's mind and within it finds out all of her intentions how she right. convinced tommy to take her out but no she was not responsible for dumping blood on her right and she goes why couldn't you just left me alone i killed my mama and then dies yeah it's pretty dark so it's like she didn't even get that like oh i guess you were kind of like my friend i'll die with a friend like, even that, even that shred of a shred was denied to her. Which... And then, speaking of shred of a shred, Tommy's dead. Tommy's All dead. of Sue's friends are dead. Sue's got the possibility of Tommy living on because she thinks she's pregnant with Tommy's child. Yeah. And in, in the 2013, she is. And she, like, finds out because psychic Carrie tells her so. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a girl. Uh-huh. Dead. But then she gets her period. While running mm-hmm. away from Carrie. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even that little bit... I don't know how much of a comfort that would have been, but... Having a, a, a tiny Tommy? Eh. After all of your friends died? Eh, maybe. Okay. She's still a teen mom. True. I don't know if that's R- good. Regardless, doesn't even get that. And you want to talk about that uh, second ending to the movie? Yeah, well, which is... We know it's a dream. It's not one of those things that tries to convince you that it's real life. And yeah. then we're like, oh, it's just a dream. We actually see her dreaming. And then we follow her in her dream. And it's, it's Sue Snell who's dreaming, one of the few survivors. Mm-hmm. And her mom, who's played by her real-life mom. Who's played by her real-life mom. So Sue comes upon the the former site of the the White family home. And it's all just like rocks. And a for sale sign, which is also in the shape of a cross, Uh which is interesting. But then that for sale sign slash cross has been vandalized with somebody saying, Carrie White burns in hell. And she sets down some flowers. And then up comes the hand, (gasps) which was actually Sissy Spacek's arm. She insisted. She insisted. And Brian De Palma said, fine, your husband's burying you in there because I'm not going to be responsible. Yeah. (laughs) And she, she wakes up, but it was one of those, like, oh, it was all a dream, it's over. Because even after she wakes up, they, they keep flashing back to the arm holding on to her. And you just know that, like, Sue is going to be carrying this around for the rest of her life. It's all right, it's all right. All right, so, Kat. Yeah? We did carry. We did. I hope we did her justice. Indeed. It's like she is the girl who you say you would have been friends with if you had the opportunity, but that's really easy when she is both dead and fictional. <laughs> but you like to think you'll uh, you'll go through this world with a little better perspective for what other people are going through. I believe that word is empathy. It is. And if nothing else, if you can't muster the empathy, just, you know, the consequences of pushing someone too far. Yeah. If just being good for being good's sake doesn't work, how about, you know, the sake of your own Just take it life? as a warning. Yeah. All right. Um, Kat, any plugs? 
Um, I do have a plug. Oh, go. So a couple of friends of the podcast, namely Matthew and Daniel, along with some other people I know, are actually taking part in producing a haunt this year in Los Angeles called Creep LA. And you can find them on Facebook and they're on Instagram at Creep Los Angeles, all spelled out. It's going to be downtown. You know, it's it's shrouded in a bit of mystery, even for me. I don't know what's going to happen in this it's haunted be like, house. It's going to be like a maze. Yeah. So it's uh, they've rented space. They have formulated their storyline, what elements are going to be in it. I don't know what those are, but I know my friends are working on it. And, and I know as a first effort. Certain favorite haunts are not coming back this year. Yeah, that's so sad. Pierce College you, is not. I also heard House at Haunted Hill is taking a year off. No! I've been telling everyone about that. Damn it. Yeah. But the fact remains, times always are a changing. So, so if you've got a little um, hole in your schedule, check out Creep LA. And you want to support some people who are really just horror fans who wanted to do their take on a haunted house and got alone and sat down and, and are figuring it out. I think that's a great thing to support. I am sure this will be worth your time and money. And if you're anywhere, we've been approached by a charity that I know... You get behind Kat. I do. When I say we were approached, that's just because we have a joint email account. Mostly they were speaking to you mm -hmm. as a uh, champion of ween dreams. Yeah, we have a friend of the podcast, this girl, Britt, who's really sweet and interacts with us a lot. She actually works for them sort of digitally in a few different capacities. And she contacted us and was like, hey... Would well, you let's, mind? Let's say what this charity does. Yeah, so this charity is called Ween Dream. We've mentioned them on the podcast before. And they donate Halloween costumes to kids who can't afford them. And they are based out of New Orleans. And really, it's the easiest thing in the world. You can donate old costumes to them. If you have them, you can send them to them. You can, like I did last year, pick a kid. So they'll give you details, um, usually on their Instagram page. And now's a really great time to do it of, you know, an age, sizes, what they want to, or really they just give you an age, a gender, and what they want to be. And then you contact them for details and say, hey, I want to claim this kid. So for me last year, it was a, I think an eight-year-old kid who wanted to be Jason Voorhees. And I was like, um, I'll take that kid. And so I went and bought him an amazing costume, a couple of masks, a really cool machete with like blood inside it. And it was one of the most fun things I did last year. And if you love Halloween as much as we do, then it's a really great way to give back during the most magical time of the year. And once again, you can find them at... They are on Twitter at Ween Dream. It's all one word, so like the end of Halloween. W-E-E-N-D-R-E-A-M. So you can find them there. And really, I mean, this day and age, you can easily just Google that and find them everywhere, but also... Sure. It seems like the more details you can get, the more legitimate of a charity something it's true. seems. On uh, Instagram, they are ween underscore dream. And you should really follow them on Instagram. Just It's not that hard to follow someone on Twitter and Instagram, and it gets them just that much more reach. And they're, they post kids in their costumes, but also just really fun stuff about fall and Halloween. And they love Halloween as much as I do, so. That's good. That's yeah. really good. And at the time of this recording, we just lost Wes Craven. Yeah. Who, speaking of him, isn't really a a horror gab or plugs really didn't know where to put this mention probably our podcast where we talk about him the most and his works would be our scream yeah. episode called ice cream you scream and i don't know what can we say that that hasn't already been said except that just he will be missed yeah i guess and 
I don't really um, feel the need to dedicate a whole podcast to him just because I know he'll be popping up over and over again throughout our podcast. Yeah. He's really sewn himself into the fabric of one of our greatest loves. Yeah. And I think we all felt the loss. No matter what, we would have felt it very deeply. But because he was very private about what he was going through with cancer, when the news dropped, everyone was just completely... I mean, I think we all thought, even though he was he would 76, just go forever. yeah, of course he would. I mean, you can't remember a time without him. No, and he was working very actively on several projects, so there was no reason to sort of pre- even prepare ourselves for something yeah. like that. It's not like he had had five years where he had sort of backed away from the industry. He was just going and going and tweeting and working, and um, so it Here's was something quite I, a shock. I left out of the Ice Cream You Scream episode, which is... Actually, on the one-year anniversary of my moving to L.A., I was doing background work on Cursed. Ah, nice. And I got to be really close by him, and I watched him direct a dog. You you could say he was directing Jesse Eisenberg, but really he was directing the dog to lick peanut butter off the side of Jesse Eisenberg's face. (laughs) to, To encourage, you know, it's like, hey, it's my dog. Hey, he knows I'm not a werewolf now, so he'll lick me. Yeah. So it had to be like peanut butter away from camera and... You know, stand here, dog licks you here. Yeah. Let's get some peanut butter on you. It's two in the morning. We've shut down Hollywood Boulevard and action. That's funny. So, I mean, I never got to uh, hang out with him, but I got that little ringside view. It's more than me. Watching him work. Um, all right, Kat. Good episode. I think so. You want to uh, take us out with a little warning? A warning? You mean beware the moon? I thought it was the cheese.